Well, the Magnificat. And uh, we looked in general at it this morning and went through most of it. I mean, you could spend, and uh, preachers have spent uh, a number of weeks. There's so much content that we, uh, we weren't able to go into this morning. But I want to touch on the start then, just to focus in on the first two verses or so in particular uh, this evening, where Mary, in response to, um, first of all, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who was John the Baptist, who leaped for joy, uh, stirred by the Holy Spirit, and then uh, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, gives her song of, uh, of praise to God for what is about to take place. And then in response, it's Mary who says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And she gives the reasons why. But I think I want to hold on the first two verses there. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now, I really am not an expert in Greek. Uh, my father was born in Athens. He came here at the age of uh, 15 to, uh, to Britain, and uh, I thought maybe in learning Greek at the ETCW in 1988. I think I spent a year there, and one of the courses was uh, New Testament Greek, and John Cook patiently trying to teach me Greek. I thought it would be in my genes, but it wasn't, and it's, uh, it was hard to find it. But I, I've got an interlinear, and I've got lexicons, and I can look at, look at words. And uh, my spirit has rejoiced, is a past sense, and that would be there. But apparently it's a present continuous. My spirit rejoices, rejoices. Uh, it's not something in the past, but for the Christian it's something, it's a present reality. So I ask myself the question, and I put the question to you tonight. Have circumstances got a hold of you? Are they dragging you down? Are you like the man in Pilgrim's Progress with the muckrake? just looking down. And if only he'd have looked up, what a glorious sight was over his head. But he, he wouldn't look up, and he couldn't look up. And a, a sad spectacle of a man uh, he really was. But my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The first point I want to make is uh, a fairly brief one. Uh, the blessedness of fellowship that Mary is there. Uh, she's gone to see Elizabeth. She's made haste, she's made the journey, and she arrives unannounced because she couldn't send a text or a WhatsApp or anything like, like that, and uh, she'd have got there ahead of any letter, she was keen to get there, so she made haste, and she goes uh, from the north down to the hill country of Judea, and to a city in Judea, we don't even know what city it was, but uh, she knows her cousin Elizabeth lives there, and she's married to the priest Zechariah. And uh, she comes to the door, she gives her her greeting, and there's this, uh, this wonderful uh, fellowship uh, between Elizabeth and Mary. And I, I just think and I, I wonder, what if Mary hadn't gone to visit Elizabeth? What if Mary had stayed at home? She goes to visit her cousin because the angel said to her, your cousin who was thought to be barren, is past the age of childbearing, is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with, with God. And so Mary makes hay, she goes to see her. And what wonderful fellowship they enjoy. But if Mary hadn't gone, uh, we wouldn't have had these wonderful incidents. If she'd stayed at home, 
You know, it is good to meet together. It's good to see you tonight. It's good to, good to see you. There's something... Did, did you make the tea? The fellowship tea? Uh, I don't know how it went, but what a wonderful facility. And uh, maybe we were a little bit tired. All right, had a busy day. I, did, I didn't make the fellowship tea. We had a number of folks around the house over lunch and memorable conversations and uh, interactions, fellowship. Uh, and when a service finishes, it's a shame when people scatter very, very quickly. It is good to, to fellowship uh, together. Uh, and Mary and Elizabeth, they enjoy a wonderful time of fellowship that goes on actually for three months because uh, Mary spends three months with her cousin Elizabeth. It's a time of mutual encouragement. And we wouldn't have had the burst of praise from Elizabeth. The baby wouldn't have leapt in her womb for joy when stirred by the Holy Spirit. And we probably wouldn't have this burst of praise in response from Mary, which is so precious to so many. Mutual encouragement. So I would encourage myself again. And I'd encourage you to, uh, to seek fellowship. You know, look for those opportunities. Don't stay at home unless you really have to. Now, some of you are at home tonight watching online. I don't know if you've got any idea how many are watching uh, online. If you're on Zoom, we can keep some sort of a track on that. But we're on YouTube, aren't we, tonight? So um, if you're a member of the church and you're at home, I hope you have a good reason for being at home, and you probably have. Maybe looking after children or you're unwell. There's so much COVID on the resurgence again and uh, bad... Uh, I mean, I, I, as far as I'm aware, I've never had COVID in these, uh, in these years that it's been around. But uh, the first winter, I had a, a terrible, terrible cold. I thought, hey, it must be COVID. It was, it was worse than... Uh, others who had COVID. But so all sorts going around. If you have those things, please stay at home. Uh, we don't want to share that fellowship uh, with you. But if you're fit and healthy and you're just feeling a little bit tired, take yourself in hand and come along anyway. And now the prayer meeting. Do you know a wonderful time to fellowship together? And of course, all fellowship is centred around him. He's the centre and son of it all. And so we meet together in the name of Jesus Christ, but we do meet together, so it's the vertical, and if that's right, it spreads to the horizontal. We can't help but love each other. You know, we don't know each other particularly well, perhaps. How do we get to know each other better? How can I pray for you? How can you pray for me? Only by really getting to know each other. I was praying in the main prayer about, uh, you know, we know some people are unwell, and when people are physically unwell, it's obvious and we can see, oh, you don't look very well. I mean, last Sunday morning, how the pastor got through the service, I don't know. Well, I was sat in the gallery, and when he was announcing the first hymn and trying to croak the first hymn, I thought, I'd better get something. What, what can I be? He's not going to make the sermon. I'd better think of something to, 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 to say. But um, getting to know each other, some things are obvious as to why we're not here. Other things, you know, stories behind the face, getting to know backgrounds, getting to know people, that, that heart 
to heart. And so my memories of this afternoon, just sitting and chatting with some people at length, was very, very helpful. Fellowship together. Oh, to seek fellowship, to encourage fellowship. Are you coming tonight? Are you coming along to the service? Are you coming along to the prayer meeting? Are you going to the ladies' meeting? Are you going to the men's breakfast? That, no, that was a great time yesterday morning. Paul Daniel giving a, a Christmas message. Those, a good number of men there. Now, wasn't it a good time? Yeah, yeah. A few not. And uh, we, we were, oh, there were all ages there. I think, uh, I don't want to look around. I think I can see the, the oldest gentleman who was, who was, I might be wrong, but uh, I think you were up towards the top and then there were some youngsters there uh, as well. And around the tables, again, a mix of, of ages. How marvellous, how wonderful. Uh, some have said to me, oh, I, I don't eat breakfast. It's not about the breakfast. <laughs> you know, it's about the fellowship together and spending time with one another. So to encourage fellowship, to, to seek fellowship, then to enjoy uh, fellowship. The, um, the Greek word is a wonderful one, of course, um, koinonia. Acts chapter 2 and verse, verse 42 gives those, you could say, four pillars of any gospel church. Four pillars that you look for in any gospel church. And uh, Acts 2.42, they, that's the early believers, the 3,000 or so who were converted, plus the other believers already in the upper room, so we're just uh, above 3,000 uh, believers, and they uh, devoted themselves to four pillars. The apostles preaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what we look for in a local church. The apostles' teaching, and that's what's happening now. Apostolic preaching, a church where the Bible is opened, a passage is read, and it is explained uh, to various levels of ability as God gives ability, and we pray it would be spirit-anointed, uh, and the teaching is central. And the architecture of a church like this speaks volumes. Why is the pulpit here? Uh, it's so that the Word of God is central, the apostolic teaching, and to the, well, we'll take the breaking of bread, the, the table of remembrance. We don't have an altar. We remember an event on Calvary. This is my body. This is my blood. It's a table of remembrance, but it is a means of, of grace. And to prayer. Any gospel church ought to be involved in, in prayer uh, together, not only yourselves at home. That's important. That's vital. But also we gather together. And the prayer meeting shows our utter dependence on God. That we're different from any other society or gathering of people. I think it's, it's wonderful to look around a building like this and a congregation like this on a Sunday evening, same on a Sunday morning, and to see such a wide variety of people. Yeah, we got young, we got old, we've got healthy, we've got the sick. We've got all different political persuasions, different sporting interests and likes, uh, some uh, 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 different nationalities are represented here. There's nowhere else you'd find a mix like this, and we're all brought together with one thing in common, 
And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this koinonia, the fellowship, koinonia, this intimacy. It's a very rich Greek word, this participation uh, together. And Mary and Elizabeth enjoyed that together. And so it brought this burst of praise from one and then the other and even the child within the womb. And in the time that Mary spends with Elizabeth, they will be pondering all that had happened and then thinking and talking and praying together about the circumstances and about the difficulties that Mary was going to face and Elizabeth bringing up a, a little child in her old age and how Zechariah going to, to cope and then thinking about the judgments from the others that would come upon uh, Mary and Joseph and uh, the older cousin Elizabeth is able to encourage the younger Mary and it brings to mind uh, the verse in Titus that I believe is so wonderfully put into practice here in the life of the church. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands. That's a, a lovely line. And admonish is quite a strong translation. Uh, they would teach they would encourage, they would show by example that the younger women should love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. This, the, the older women teaching the younger uh, women. And uh, that's as it was here with Elizabeth and Mary, that mutual encouragement together. So, that's the first point, the blessedness of fellowship. We ought to cherish it, seek it, grasp the opportunities, encourage one another to participate. Second point I want to make, the blessed worship that comes here in Mary's praise. First of all, just this phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, how, how do you magnify that which actually is unmagnifiable? I can understand what it means to magnify something that is very small. If there were an ant and you wanted to have a close look at its structure, the head and the abdomen and the thorax and the... How many, I wonder how many legs an ant has got. Well, I, I'd better get out my magnifying glass. I believe it has six, because now I've magnified this, which is very small, and I can see in detail this, this ant. But how can you possibly magnify that which is infinite, and immense. There's David in Psalm 139. Uh, if I rise to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the ends of the seas, you are there. Uh, God is infinite. God is immense. Uh, God in his omnis. Uh, he's omnipresent. 
Joe, so we can look with uh, these, uh, we've got a lovely telescope at home, William and I, and the uh, problem with telescopes in Britain is in the summer it stays light too long, and so I'm too tired by the time it goes dark. And in the winter, it's nice and clear out there, but I'm not going out there. It's far too cold. And so we don't use it a great deal, but when we do, you know, to look at these spectacular sights in the night sky and to think about the vast distances uh, places which we will never get with our space uh, en endeavours, but God is there, and God is beyond. How do you magnify one who is immense? And yet Mary is saying here, my soul magnifies the Lord. He fills all and he's beyond all. But there's a great truth here that is being expressed, and a, a vital truth that is being expressed. And it's, uh, it's not only here in the Magnificat, it's in other places of the Bible as well. Let me just read to you Psalm 34 and verse 3. Oh, says the psalmist, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So, Magnificat, Mary's saying, there's something I'm doing. My soul magnifies the Lord. Here's David saying, oh, come on. Congregation of the people, magnify the Lord together with me. And let's, let's look to do that together here uh, this evening. It's dark outside, it's cold outside. England are out of the World Cup. What a joy to be able to magnify the Lord. How do we do that? We'll come on to that in a moment. But let's, let's think of what it is. It's a vital truth. To magnify the Lord is to make him big, vast, immense in your own thinking, your affections, and your will. To make him big in the depths of my soul. To make him increasingly what he is. I magnify him in such a way that my view of him increasingly coalesces with who he really is. Because my view of him and your view of him is obviously far too small. So Mary's saying, from what I've just been learning from the angel and now in fellowship with my cousin Elizabeth, I'll tell you what my soul is doing. He's magnifying him. Suddenly, he's far bigger than I had imagined. And a problem that I have and you have, how big is your God? We can sing the children's little song, my, big is, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. We can sing the words. But what does it really mean to you and to me? A question, how big is the Lord to me and to you right now? Because, because it is that fact and that fact alone which will govern all our conduct, all our actions, all our reactions to how people react and act towards us. It'll govern our thinking and our responses and our decisions. Seeking him who is invisible 
and yet one who can be known. And unless he is rightly magnified in our lives, I'll tell you what happens. The little things become big things. And the things of earth become strangely real. As he dims and gets small, so little things become big things. And I start to magnify me. And I start to magnify myself. And my situation and my circumstances dominate. If God is smaller than he is in my estimation then we will stumble and fall into sin. It is inevitable. We'll take offence really quite easily because I'm now big. And if you cross me, you're going to have to contend with me. And if God is too small, I, I will be critical of others and I will find fault with others. And I, I will want my own way. I will become, and oh Lord, preserve me from this. Now I'm 65 now. I've looked up this, this definition. I've heard the word a few times. Uh, a curmudgeon. Do you know what a curmudgeon is? Do you want to write down the definition? Well, it's a grumpy old man, all right? It's a grumpy old man. And I looked up curmudgeon, it gave me a list of things that a curmudgeon is. He's a bellyacher, a complainer, a fault finder, a growler, a grumbler, a grump, a sourpuss, and a whiner. Oh, Lord, preserve me from becoming that. But taking our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, taking our eyes off him, Unless we magnify him, the world becomes very attractive. If God is small and I am too big. But oh, if he is big, if he is magnified, if, he, if I have a new vision of Jesus, and maybe the Lord's got to take me through situations to bring me to my senses to see what really is important. But if I have that right view... My problems, whatever they are, become manageable. My enemies become pygmies. I remember Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And when God is big and I am small, sin really is sin, and I see the sinfulness of it. The world is unattractive. When God is big, I am understanding and forbearing with others. And I tell you who I'm critical of when God is big, me, me. God is big. He's magnified in my life. I'm very disappointed in me. And as Jesus says, I will, before I attempt to take the speck of dust that might well be in your own eye, I'll have a good look at the plank that's in my own eye. Yeah, I wonder... Wonder together how it was that David could face Goliath. How could he do that, little lad 17 and this giant of a man in full armour? And David won't even put on the armour. Well, his, his soul magnified the Lord. Uh, how, how could Paul deal with all that opposition? 
and have all the concerns of all the churches and all that faced him. Well, his God was big and he could say and believe, if God is for me, since God is for me, who can be against me? Conversely, how could Demas, who once ran so well, drift so very, very badly? How is it that Judas could sell Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, so very, very cheaply. I mean, you can compute it today. 30 pieces of silver is about 2,000 pounds. And that might be a lot to you. But if I could give you 2,000 pounds, would you like that? Maybe, oh yeah, okay, good. Some, some nods. Judas, how could he sell him so cheaply? He saw nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord was so small to them. All this burst of praise, first of all, my soul magnifies the Lord. Well, I want to think then how we, how we do that. How do we magnify the Lord? How can we go about doing that? It's going to lead to a real joy uh, if we can. Well, it, it must start in the soul. So uh, Mary says here, it's my soul that magnifies the Lord. So here, here's a hand again. I feel a hand coming on. Remember the hand. Here it is again. Uh, if this represents the soul, here I am a body, but this is my soul. Now, a soul has got various departments. It has a, a mind, it has a, a affections, it has a will, it has a conscience, it has a memory. But the very centre of the soul that uh, really Mary is thinking about here, it's not the mind, it's not primarily the affections, or it's not the conscience, it's not the memory, it's not the will. It, it's the very centre of her being. And it's the very centre of who I am, the I, the id, the, the ego, the inner man, the Bible calls uh, this, this place, the very inner sanctum of, uh, of my human soul, the control room. And at times I've got to take my mind in hand and tell it to think. At times I've got to take my affection in hand and say, don't think on those things. At times I've got to say to my conscience, you're being too sensitive. Who's doing that? The inner man. The inner woman, the control room, the center, the id, the ego, uh, the, the I. And, and we start here. Uh, and with the, the gaze of the soul, we want to gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ, for he's the one who leads us to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the Hebrew uh, letter, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. And the Greek word, Aphoreo. It's not again to have a little glimpse. It's not to nod in his direction now and again, but it is a fixed focus. In fact, this word aphoreo means to take your attention off and to fix it on something else. Here, from the world we turn, Jesus to seek. Now, I, I take my soul in hand, all, all these departments. I'm the one who's doing this. But I need that power of the Holy Spirit, for he works here, right in the centre of my being. He's regenerated me. He's given me new life. He now gives me power to live the life divine. And so I gaze at him, I muse on him, I meditate and I contemplate. And my friends, it takes time. Can't rush this. My meditation of him shall be sweet. And to know Jesus Christ, not just to know about him, 
Gnosis, but epignosis, something that comes upon this knowledge. Uh, Genosco, an experimental knowledge of him. It happens through the word. And Mary was full of the Bible. Even her magnificat and burst of praise, there are echoes of Hannah in the Old Testament who gave birth to, to Samuel. There are echoes throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Mary is full of the Bible. And so we take the gaze of the soul onto the Lord Jesus Christ using the word of God. Psalm 119, the entrance of your word brings light. Here's a prayer for when we start our quiet times each day. Um, open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you high and lifted up. Open my eyes, Psalm 119, verse 18, that I might behold wonderful things out of your word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly, richly. And from that reality, my soul magnifies the Lord. How do you make him big? Get to know him through the word. Set your gaze on him. Absorb this word. Be sitting under preaching. Get to the teaching. Get to the fellowship. Get to the prayer meetings. Be determined to meet with him. Here from the world we turn Jesus to seek. And from that, inevitably, will come this second thing that Mary says. You see, the two are logical, they're so connected. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Now, I don't believe there's a distinction between soul and spirit. That's the... Uh, the spirit and the soul of, uh, of any human being. But uh, one is to contemplate, magnify the Lord, and therefore the response is going to be, in engaging with him, can I but rejoice? Magnifying him produces this wonderful response of, of joy. And there's far too little of that in my life and in your life. And it needs to show. It needs to show and why am I rejoicing? We're coming to a conclusion now. Here's the bottom line. Because I'm saved. Because I'm saved. What a wonderful thing to be saved. Are, are you saved here tonight? Do you know that you're marching to Zion? Do you know that God is the end of your journey? And for the believer, we meet Him safely. We're all going to meet Him. How will you meet Him safely? Only through the one that Mary gave birth to. That virgin birth, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. The child within her was of the Holy Ghost. She gives birth to the God child, Emmanuel. God the Son, not God the Father, not God the Holy Spirit. God the Father sent him, God the Holy Spirit overseas. But it's God the Son who enters into the virgin's womb, who spends nine months there and goes through a birth process. He's laid in a manger, cattle feeding trough. There's no room for him even. Uh, in the end, he was born into a poor family. He lived for 33 years. He went around doing good. He didn't cease to be God. He could raise the dead. He could walk on the water. He could heal the sick. He was also a man because he could be tired and hungry. 
and weary, he entered into our humanity. He was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. In every way, he's like you and me, but no sin, no sin. He, why? He's come to deal with our biggest problem, sin before a holy God. This is what we rejoice in. He lived a perfect life because I can't do it. And then he dies the death that we deserve. Oh, that first carol, first real carol that we, we sang, a child in a manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, yet he's Lord of all, child who inherits all our transgressions, all our demerits, on him fall. That happened on Calvary. The wage of sin is death, misery forever. Why should I rejoice? Because there's no more misery for me. Because it all fell on him 2,000 years ago. He died that I might be forgiven. He died to make me good. That I might go at last to heaven, saved by going to church enough times and saying enough prayers. Well, that wouldn't make me happy. That would just leave me miserable. Have I been enough times? Have I said enough prayers? But the reality is that I might go to heaven saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. My friends, on Calvary 2,000 years ago, when this little child had lived those 33 years, then laid down his life for his friends, and as he dies on Calvary, the debt was paid in full. My friends, the gate wasn't only open to heaven. It was taken off its hinges. There are just some gateposts left. And the Spirit beckons us in. Now tonight, are you, are you saved? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not going to church? Not trusting in your baptism? Not trusting in your prayers or your good works? But trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he big in your view? Or if you've had a saving experience of him. What excuse have we got not to have this joy unspeakable and full of glory? We rejoice as his people because we are a saved people. Our biggest problem has been fully dealt with. God needs to be big. Magnify the Lord together with me, says the psalmist. Mary says, I magnify him and therefore my soul rejoices in God my Saviour. We're going to finish now with a hymn focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he, he... It was written by the grandfather of my last trainee pastor at St. Mellon's and uh, he is now pastoring Kiawent Evangelical Church, Gwydion Emblin, but his grandfather was uh, Bobby Maynard uh, Jones and he wrote this wonderful hymn, Jesus... Jesus, all-sufficient beyond telling is thy worth. We'll stand and sing together.
Lord Jesus, we acknowledge and thank you that you are indeed the delight of heaven, the central star and sun. And pray increasingly that as our souls are able to magnify you, that you will be the joy and delight and obviously so of our lives. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.